is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast, where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily, and this is the week of January 16th uh, through 20th, 2023. And we've got some Jeopardy to talk about. But before we get into that, how are you doing this week, Kyle? I am doing okay. I I think I mentioned last week, the week before, January gets even busier for me than like December mm-hmm. was. So I'm in, yeah. the, in the midst of it, uh, tomorrow is another full Saturday and we've got more for the next couple of weeks. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. So. Mm-hmm. Yay. Um, but other than that, things are things are fine. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there, uh, finishing up my, my two-week run of solo parenting. Looking across the finish line. Yikes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what. What is your video game update? <laughs> it's a boring video game update. I, I, I decided to start playing Stardew Valley over from the beginning because... Uh. Yeah, I had I had just the one save file where I where I you know which I've almost reached completion on that one. Um, there are, there are a couple things like I need to track down like one last golden walnut on the like island that unlocks when you've got most of the content in the kind of main part of the game done. Um, you know, there's like a couple like little lingering things before I before I completely kind of get everything that can be done done. But when I played, when I started that, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I sort of bumbled around <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for the first, for, it's like, I mean, it's a farming simulator. So it has like, it has seasons. I don't know if, I don't know if all farming sims do, but it seems like that's a logical feature. Um, so yeah, I, I just really had no idea what I was doing for the whole like first cycle and like kind of, kind of uh, made a bunch of silly mistakes. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to try it over again and see if I can like have like a nice clean couple of years and kind of accomplish the main objectives without all of that all of that nonsense. And mm. so far so good. Well, hey, congratulations. Welcome welcome to the replay. Yeah. I'm the replay is very enjoyable. I'm having that's, fun with it. That's how you know you're a gamer. Yeah. You come back to the game. Yeah. Um, and I've got I've got a couple things queued up for when I'm ready to tackle something new. Um, I'm not totally sure what to expect from Hades, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Mm, yes, I, I have it. I own it. It is one of the many games that I own and will play at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, heard lots of lots of very positive reviews. Yeah. Um, what about you? Uh, uh, any gaming update? Uh, I'm a little bit farther in Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which at this point is like mm-hmm. two or three years old. So it's not, it's not a new game. Uh, yeah. But it's new to me because mm-hmm. again, I'm way behind. I don't have a lot of time to play. I am a lifetime behind. So yeah, you're ahead of me. But <laughs> that's, that's fair. I, I have an Ori game, actually. I got, I, I had Ori in the Blind Forest, maybe? Ori in the Blind my, Forest. Yeah. That's yeah, the first on one. On my list. Yeah. And like the, the price dropped. So I grabbed it. So it's also nice. waiting for me. Yeah. It is a very good game. It is beautiful and heartwarming and emotional. It's a, it's a great game. I love Ori and the Blind Forest. Awesome. Um, so, yes. Forward to it. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Anyway, we have Jeopardy to talk about. Yeah, we sure do. Um, so, uh, Monday, January 16th, 
The contestants were Katie Palumbo, a museum interpreter from Amawak, New York, Jimmy DeVoren, a teacher from Coronado, California, and Yoga Shrout, a blogger, podcaster, and freelance writer originally from Springfield, Illinois, whose three-day cash winnings total $96,403. And the Jeopardy round categories are the colors of science, major league baseball teams, circles, squares, and dodecahedrons, cliches, rephrase, pure bread, and dog tails. Now I'm going to I'm going to take some issue with the $400 level of circle squares and dodecahedrons. It's it is correct. It is mm-hmm. it is correctly worded. Um, and it is I, okay. So the the clue is the damage caused by a barbarian's weapon can be determined by a roll of a dodecahedron in this game created in 1974. Katie got it that is Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, so a great axe is the only base weapon that deals that deals damage on a d12, a 12-sided die, which can be wielded by a barbarian, but can also be wielded by other classes, like fighters, okay. like mm-hmm. paladins. Also, I'm pretty sure that in the original version, there was not a barbarian class. Mm. Um, I believe it was, I believe it was just fighter, thief, and magic user. But mm-hmm. anyway, I'm getting off. It's... It's fine. It's a fine question. It's just a little bit wiggly, you know, Mm -mm. with its accuracy, which matters to me and probably about four other people. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a. I mean, it's a fine critique. Also, a barbarian could use a different weapon that doesn't deal a D12. They could use a greatsword, which is 2D6. Anyway. There was a square dancing clue also in circle squares and dodecahedrons. Do they do a lot of square dancing out there in Colorado? Uh, you can you can find it for sure. Um, I mean, you can find it here. Well, no, I mean it. It's not hard to find out yeah. here. There, there, there are plenty of places that you can go to do to do some square dancing. You can go to the Grizzly mm-hmm. Rose. Uh, it's the big one in Denver, and and and, and other places. There are plenty. Uh, I have done some square dancing in my day. Nice. Did not enjoy it. <laughs> I, I uh, for a while, I was really into um, contra dancing, which is kind of the more New Englandy square dancing, hmm. but haven't done it so much recently. One of my pet peeves in contra dancing was um, encountering people who had only like done a little bit of square dancing in like PE, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and then would end up at a contra dance trying to like ir- ironically do square dancing, but like. They're not. The, they're not exactly the same. There are slightly different conventions. Mm-hmm. Most notably, I think is it correct that in square dancing, what the in, a swing is like you link arms. Is that sure? Yeah, I don't know. I I also don't know. Okay, yeah. In contra dancing, when when the caller says to swing your partner, it's like it's like a ballroom dance position, right? Like, uh. and so coming across somebody who that who would like go to link arms always is, is a little awkward indeed nobody wants to hear me share my pet peeves <laughs> sure? dancing. probably not well let's put a poll on oh. twitter uh, <laughs> I, I chuckled when we had in, in the purebred category we had mm-hmm. despite the c at the front of the name of this puffy jewish bread sometimes being silent its name sounds quite loud 
Uh, Jimmy got that. It's Hala. And then at the four hundred, and then at the four hundred dollar level, rock on dark and light rye bread rolled together is deemed this. Katie got it. It's marble bread. And I just remembered uh, your last game. Right? Was it? Was it? They they were there was a clue about Hala and Dino rang in and then realized that what what he was thinking of was not correct but said it anyway. Marble rye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I just I remembered that moment. It was a funny moment. I've tried to block that whole game from my brain. <laughs> there was a funny moment about Marble Rye. It was fun. Sure. I'll take your word for it. No, I'm just kidding. That was a, that was a yeah. fun game. I just yeah. I just lost, you know, so. Yeah. But everyone yep. loses. Um, let's see. Daily Double number one is in the colors of science at the $1,000 level. Pick number 17. Yogesh finds it. He's at 3200 Jimmy's at 2800 Katie's at 3800 And he makes it a true Daily Double and gets the clue. It's a disease that afflicts cereal grasses, or a diminutive name for a star like the sun. And he gets it correct with uh, what is a yellow dwarf. I did not know that it was a disease. Yeah, me neither. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Yogesh is at 9,200. Jimmy is at 3,400. Katie's at 5,600. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Small town America and Canada. Royal history. Tattoos. Letters of the law. The singer who played and short A, the $800 clue of short A. The British pronounce this word with a flat first A and fusilli seems to be their favorite type. Katie got it. That's pasta. I mean, I know British people are going to British, but it it just bothers me so much. <laughs> it does. Yeah. As, that and especially taco. Oh, no. We're going to have tacos. Like, no, no, because that's not a thing. Nope. You monsters you <laughs> yeah. absolute fiends <laughs> tacos mm-hmm. are you kidding mm. i'm sure there is at least one listener who watched the latest season of great british bake-off and has feelings about the mexican week so mm-hmm. whoever oh, that I- is whoever that is i'm with you i just ugh. Did, have we talked about that on the podcast i feel like we've already talked about that a, on the podcast. a little bit a little bit yeah. I, I I've heard quite a bit of buzz about that particular uh, mm. that particular episode. Oh, I see the um, stuff they're doing, and I'm yeah. like, man, I make better tacos on like a on a Tuesday night after work. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my, uh, my somewhat nerdy connection to that that I, that I think we've think we talked about on the podcast when I did the the deep dive on on um, Lord Byron, his entire epic poem, which. I'm just going to say Don Juan because I can't, I, I, I can't, but the rhyme scheme only pronounce it works if you pronounce it as Don Juan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which like, you're making an awful assumption there, my man. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a written medium. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know, British people, I, I can't, I can't account for it. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe to them we sound terribly pretentious, you know, like when when somebody like goes to South America briefly and all, they come back being like in Colombia, right? I'm mm-hmm. like stop in it. <laughs> stop. Yes. Um maybe 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 that's maybe that's the maybe that's how we sound to them when we say taco. I don't know. Maybe. I have a feeling <laughs> no American sounds pretentious to British people though. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I feel like that we sound right. quite the opposite. Yeah. Uh, you know, this royal history category had a couple of things that my deep dives covered, you know. Like mm, yeah. Mary, Mary Queen of Scots was the mother of King James I of this 
dynastic family that's the Stuarts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the establishment of the Romanov dynasty in 1613 ended the Russian time of these, a period of political and social crisis. That's the time of troubles. Mm-hmm. An important reminder that people should listen to the back to catalog. It. Yes. And, the, and you know, the thing about the back catalog is none of those recaps are relevant anymore. So you can just jump to the deep dive and save a mm-hmm. lot of time. <laughs> Not that I'm saying you should like skip our content, but like if you go back, you know, a year or a year and a half, probably you're not super interested in the recaps of those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we have such witty banter. Yes. Oh, goodness, we do. That's why we make the big bucks. <laughs> Daily Double number two is in small town America in Canada, and Yogesh finds it at the 17th pick. Uh, it's at the $2,000 level. He is at 17,600 uh, with Katie at 12,800 and Jimmy at 9,800. He wagers 5,000 and gets the clue. This British Columbia town grew up around a mountain that's been home to Olympians and ski bums. The sound made by local marmots led to the name and he gets mm-hmm. it correct. It is Whistler. Marmots are cute. We have marmots I, around up in the I mountains. Don't, I don't know what a marmot looks like. They look like a giant chipmunk or almost almost kind of like a gopher well not really oh they are cute yeah they're cute and they just like they're just running around mountains like you're, you're climbing mountains yeah. and you're, you get past the timber line and all of a sudden you just have a marmot friend hanging out on the rocks next to you nice yeah i mean some of them have probably learned that they can get food from people so they're it's probably not actually a good thing that they are just like totally unafraid but yeah Yeah. Anyway, uh, we did have a letters of the law, although it was the letters of the law in our game, in our double jeopardy. Okay. Yes. And daily double number three is in letters of the law at the $1,200 level pick number 20. And Katie finds this one. She is at 16,400. Yogesh is at 22,600 and Jimmy's at 9,800 and she wagers 8,000. Love it. Good move. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gets the clue N. Failure to exercise care toward others that a reasonable person would do in similar circumstances. And she gets it correct with what is negligence. Mm-hmm. So she takes the lead. Yes. The the game dynamics graph is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, she manages to keep the lead uh, through the rest of the double jeopardy round. And as we head into final jeopardy, Katie's at 25,600 with Yogesh just behind her at 23,800. Jimmy's at 11,400. The final jeopardy category is business milestones. And the clue is these were first sold in 1908 at a price equivalent to about $27,000 today. Jimmy tried what are he he wrote stocks and then crossed it out and wrote government bond. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not correct. Uh, He wagered everything. So drops to zero. Yogesh wrote what are treasure bonds, treasury, treasury bonds. Treasury bond. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, what those are called, but that's not correct either. He wagered 999. Uh, So he's trying to keep Jimmy locked out. If Jimmy were to double up, Katie wrote what are cars, which is not quite correct. She did not make a cover bet. No, um, she did not. <laughs> she did not. She wagered 2500 You would have expected a cover bet, which would have been like almost everything, which would have dropped her to 
you know, almost nothing, but she didn't make a cover bet. I don't, I don't know if she is intentionally making a second order wager here, anticipating that Yugesh would do what he did, which was make sure he stayed above Jimmy's double. Right. Or, or just if she didn't like the category or, you know, wasn't familiar with wagering, wagering strategy, yeah. but I mean, she's played a very good game, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I'm, my inclination here is to assume that she is making a smart move uh, yeah. rather than, rather than stumbling into a win. Right. So that drops her down to 23,100, which is still more than the 22,801 that Yogesh landed at when he missed with with his treasury bonds guess. Um, and that gives Katie the win. And the correct response here is the, the Ford Model T. Right. Car is not specific yeah. enough. Uh-huh. The, yeah. Ken says the first affordable car for middle class consumers uh, mm. because of... I'm not I'm not a big car history aficionado, but think I think I recollect like the Model T was, you know, kind of the the first car that went like kind of became like, you know, popular and, and common. But like, was it, I don't think it was the first car full stop. Right. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, not. No, no there, no, were, no, there were plenty of cars before that yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. a few centuries, but or not centuries, mm-hmm. a few decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Since the 1600s. Um, yeah. No, but the, the assembly line is what allowed them to be produced. Yeah, the model, yeah, yeah. The Model T assembly line is like my major association with the Model T, and I think you know, I don't know, I don't know a whole lot about cars before that, but yeah. So that that gives Katie the win and takes us yeah. in to Tuesday. Yes. So Yogesh, who had some very strong games and has a very uh, impressive resume, mm-hmm. is out after three games. Yeah. Yeah. Jeopardy is unpredictable like that. And that's why we love it. Well, yeah. That's one reason. <laughs> we also love it because it makes us feel smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Stephanie Pakula, an aerospace engineer from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Vince Bacani, a risk manager from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And... Katie Palumbo, a museum interpreter from Emmawak, New York, whose one-day cash winnings is $23,100. Move the Jeopardy round categories, the real, real housewives of Eye on Art, with the letter I in quotation marks, all about hair, summing up the Spielberg movie, double vowels next to double consonants, and during the Liz Truss weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I have a hard time feeling bad for politicians. Yeah, yeah. But there's a small part of me that's like, ah, oh, bummer, Liz Truss. <laughs> mm-hmm. We didn't really have enough time to know if you would actually be good or bad at that job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems like not good, but also yeah. hard to tell. I really enjoy the um, the $200 clue of the double vowels category. These critters are sometimes derisively called trash pandas. Uh, those are <laughs> raccoons. Stephanie got Yay. that. Raccoons. I like that term trash pandas i i like i like the term trash pandas also man what i think i used i think i used that term once uh, like talking to my kids uh-huh and they were just they were just confused as all get out mm-hmm. there are pandas here like, no, mm-hmm. no 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 not like at the zoo no it's a raccoon but you said panda like, yeah i know i know what i said <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry for Sorry for for playing with language. You're not old enough yet. (laughs) Liz Truss apparently lasted 4.1 mooches. (laughs) 
Well, hey, she can hang her hat on that, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness gracious. Got an interesting reversal in the all about hair at the mm. $800 level. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The clue is hair is mostly keratin, which, like collagen and elastin, is classified as a structural one of these. And uh, Vince Ringen said, what's a polymer? Uh, that was ruled incorrect. And then Stephanie got it with uh, what's a protein. But then they gave it to him as a polymer because, I, I mean, I guess it's technically a polymer. Hmm. Yeah. And I maybe there I, I, I hope that there are things called structural polymers because I did not know that and never yeah. have heard that. Yeah, I don't know. Daily Double number one is in The Real Real Housewives of at the $800 level. Katie finds it as the 16th pick. Uh, she has 1200 at this point and makes it a true Daily Double. Um, Vince is up at 3800 uh, with Stephanie at 1400 And Katie gets the clue. Uh, the Real Real Housewives of New York enjoy this 1,046-foot Art Deco skyscraper designed by William Van Allen and built between 1928 and 1930. And she gets it correct with the Chrysler building. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Vince is in the lead with 7,000. Katie's at 6,200. Stephanie's back at 1,400. And the double Jeopardy categories are a little world history, 1980s bestsellers, three letters, two meanings, international food and drink, Emmy winners, and science-y stuff. It's a technical term. Science-y stuff. Science-y stuff. Like, like the blowhole. <laughs> yes. Somebody told me to watch the TV show at the $1,200 level of Emmy winners recently. Seen here, mm. she won her first Emmy for playing Tanya on The White Lotus. It's Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah, apparently heard. there are two seasons of it. I, I, that's what I've heard. And okay. I was like, you know, there's a bunch of buzz now. And I was like, I didn't hear about it having one season. The cycle where like a thing has a bunch of seasons and then everybody streams all the seasons and all of a sudden, like everyone is caught up on this show that I did not hear word one about until I had to watch 20 hours to find out what everybody was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not working well for me. No, it it also doesn't work well for me. I'm, I'm, yeah, I am years and years behind on TV shows mm-hmm. that, and likely will never actually get around to the most of them. Two seasons, 13 episodes. That, that sounds more manageable than some. I guess. <laughs> Is each episode like two and a half hours long? Pro- probably. Probably. It's pulling a Stranger Things. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Stranger Things. Have you watched the most recent season of Stranger Things? No. No. Each, we... each episode is like an entire movie. There was like a there was like a two hour episode. Yikes. Like, what are you doing? That's a lot of production, man. Yeah. Anyway. Uh Day of the Double Number Two is in the th- three letters, two meanings category, sixteen hundred dollar level. Uh, Vince find it, finds it at pick number 18. He's at 15,400. Katie's at 10,200. Stephanie's at 1,000. He wagers 5,000. Like the big move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This clue, a body of water or a deep drawn out howl. And he guesses what is cry, uh, but that's a bay. A bay. Yes. Bang of hounds. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is in a little world history at the $2,000 level. And Katie finds this one. She's at 13,000, just a little ahead of Vince, who's at 12,400. Stephanie's back at 1,000 still. Uh, She wagers 6,000. 
and gets the clue he reunited the Eastern and Western Roman Empires in 324 AD, and the new capital soon bore his name. Uh, she tries who is Charlemagne, Charlemagne, and that's not correct. Constantine the Great is what they're mm-hmm. looking for here. Mm-hmm. It's good. Good. Uh, yeah. 500 years too early for mm-hmm. yeah. Charlemagne. Yeah. So at the uh, end of the je- double Jeopardy round, Vince is in the lead at 14,000, Katie's at 7,400, and Stephanie is still at 1,000. She kind of just stayed there for most of the round. Uh, Final Jeopardy category is Geography Mnemonics, and the clue is MIMAL, sometimes said to be the silhouette of a chef or elf. Stands for Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, and these two states. And this is a triple stumper. And like, I, I know, like, you know, you can only study so many things. And, you know, for me, it was like, in the Tournament of Champions, like the next thing I was going to study was state flags. And then I had a daily double about state flags that I missed. And so I was like, ah, it's always the next thing. But I feel like the map of the United States, you kind of just got to have. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Stephanie wrote, what are Alabama and Louisiana? And that is incorrect. She wagered eight ninety nine. Katie wrote, what are Alabama and Louisiana? Uh, and wagered 5000 And uh, Vince wrote, what are Louisiana and Illinois? And wagered $1,000. Uh, but that's Arkansas and Louisiana. It's all those states like north to south, right? From Minnesota Mm -hmm. through Iowa, through Missouri, through Arkansas. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two two triple stopper final jeopardies in a row. Yeah. But Vince wins. He he made a cover bet of a thousand. So he didn't have to bet much, but he moves on as Mm -hmm. the winner. Yeah. Um, so on Wednesday, uh, we have the contestants Alec Wang, a real estate analyst from Avon, Connecticut. Aaron Portman, a high school English teacher from Naperville, Illinois, and Vince Bacani, a risk manager from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, whose one-day cash cash winnings total 13,000. And the Jeopardy round categories are the 1890s, women of science, a college slash town, songs of the 2010s, same first and last letter, and six-pack. Had a triple stumper in six-pack. At the $800 level, the six flags over Texas refer to the entities that have controlled it. Sixth is the USA. This was the fifth. Alec tried what is Mexico. Aaron tried what is the Republic of Texas. Vince tried what is Spain. They were looking for the, the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. That is the, That was number five, right? Like Yes. Since, you know, af- after that, it's been the USA ever since. So, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the songs of the 2010s, I mean, I realize it's only 2023, but that is still three to 13 years ago mm-hmm. and I don't like it. Yep. I don't, don't like it at all. The way that it speaks about this stuff as though it is in the past and not, you know, like uh-huh. current, current events. Despot- yeah. Um, mm-hmm. these are, these all, I believe just came out mere moments ago. <laughs> yes. um, uh, Allow me to. Allow me to turn on Casey Kasem's top 40 and we'll, we'll, we'll listen to all of these hot jams. There are some bangers on this, on this list. Um, <laughs> sure. There are. Yeah. I mean, they're like, they're big hits. Yes. Yeah. They're not just, they're not just like obscure songs. They are, yeah. they are hits. That's fair. Mm-hmm. If uh, speaking of deep dives and the back catalog, which we haven't really plugged a lot lately. <laughs> I feel like, but we Certainly need to get not back just into a minute that. ago. Yeah. Right. Well, I oh, mean, oh. In, in, in recent episodes. In recent weeks. Yeah, I know you're right. Yeah. Uh, okay. The Women of Science at the $800 level. 
Uh, chemist Alice Ball developed an early treatment used for decades for this devastating bacterial skin disease. Mm-hmm. If you knew, if you if you went back to my father Damien deep dive, yeah, then you would know that it is leprosy or Hansen's disease. Mm-hmm. We also uh, touched on the uh, the wives of Henry VIII at the thousand dollar level of six pack. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know which one was the fourth, whom Henry called a Flanders mare. Charming, Cla- classy guy. Um, with Anne of Cleves. All right, daily double number one is in the 1890s at the thousand dollar level. Pick number 18. Uh, Aaron finds it. She's at 3600. Vince is at 3000. Alec is at negative 800. And she bets it all as well as she should. Gets the clue mm-hmm. returning after a 1500 year break. These opened April 6, 1896. And she gets it correct with what are the Olympic Games? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Aaron is in a strong lead at 9,400. Vince is at 3,800. Alec is out of the red at 400. The double Jeopardy categories are Know Your Boundaries, Blank Verse, Long Serving Politicians, Newspaper Names, Elemental Responses, each one beginning with an element, and Movies That Matter. Mm-hmm. I, wonder, I guess because they're about. Like social issues yeah activism yeah i mean i i don't disagree they do matter sure yeah but as opposed to those inconsequential movies <laughs> yep the two thousand dollar clue of blank verse i'm pretty sure we've talked about in the room the women come and go talking of michelangelo yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh proof rock mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as you have said numerous times if you're going to be on jeopardy spend some time with good old jay alfred Mm-hmm. Aaron had that one. I was able to get the uh, $2,000 clue of long-serving politicians because of your quiz. So the, the clue was mm-hmm. Marcy Cupter from this city on Lake Erie, west of Cleveland, is the longest-serving female U.S. representative ever. And I was like, well, if it's on the lake and it's west... Probably it's the city that Michigan and Ohio fought a war over, kind of. And that's Toledo. <laughs> yes. I got I, it for the same reason. Thank you for thank you for bringing that up. The Toledo yeah. War. Yeah. There was a war between Ohio and Michigan. I was like, oh man, trying to remember my Ohio cities. And then I was like, wait, I literally just learned about like the city on the lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Yep. Um, Daily Double number two is in Elemental Responses at the $2,000 level, and Vince finds it as the sixth pick. He has 4,600. With Aaron at 11,400 and Alec at 1,200, Vince makes it a true Daily Double and gets the clue ferns, amphibians, and early reptiles thrived during this geological period from about 360 to 300 million years ago. He can't come up with anything. um, The... The gimmick here, of course, is each answer has to begin with the name of an element. So he tries what mm-hmm. is the copper age. Uh, the Carboniferous period is what they were looking for. Yes. Yeah. I don't think I would have gotten that one either. I, yeah, I was not going in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third daily double is in newspaper names at the $1,600 level. Pick number 26. So much later in the round, Vince finds this one as well. He's at 6,400. Aaron is at 21,000. And Alec is at negative 2,800. 
and he wagers everything but a dollar, sixty-three ninety-nine, and gets the clue. Samuel Morse could have used his code to signal the name of this British daily, founded in eighteen fifty-five, and he gets it correct with what is the Telegraph. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Aaron is in the lead with twenty-one thousand. Vince is at fifteen thousand five hundred ninety-nine. And Alec is at negative 2,000, so he will not be playing in Final Jeopardy, where the category is early American history. And the clue is, in 1692, Increase Mather wrote, It were better that ten unsuspected these escape than that one innocent person be condemned. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Vince got it correct with What Are Witches? Uh, and a wager of 5,402. Which brings him up to 21,001. Uh, Aaron got it correct also, though, with What Are Witches and a wager of 10,201, putting her at 31,201 and giving her the win. Yeah, you had to kind of figure out that this was Salem Witch Trials then, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah 1692 is, is the big, Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1692s. Yeah. Uh huh. And the, the Mathers were, were ministers in that era. There was not a single, I mean. Prove it. Yeah. Um, Prove they weren't witches, Emily. Yeah. uh, um, There's zero witches in Salem in 1692. Not a one. I didn't know we had a witch apologist on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, there's part of me that's like, (laughs) knowing that there are in the 21st century practitioners of wicca like i don't want i'm like is this wiccan erasure to assert that there were no witches in sale like i don't know i don't think it is but probably not in the way that the puritans Cer- were certainly it. not in the way that they were being defined uh tried for and and executed for yeah no yes. um absolutely not so uh, uh, the quote sort of uh makes makes me especially aware of that right like that's a, that is a nice ideal much better to let ten actual witches go than to than to uh, than to execute one innocent person. Oh, except, shocking! Except honestly. <laughs> uh, shocking coming from a Mather uh-huh. seems awfully lenient. Yeah, the ma- the Mathers. Yeah, uh, mm, yeah. Of spare um, the rod, spoil the child. Fame. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's Cotton Mather. But anyway, that brings us to Thursday. Where we have the contestants, Hillary Kotler, a child care professional from Columbia, Maryland, Troy Meyer, a music executive from Tampa, Florida, and Aaron Portman, a high school English teacher from Naperville, Illinois, whose one-day cash winnings total $31,201. And the Jeopardy round category is when in ancient Rome, it's about time. The actor's middle initial ends in ion, I-O-N, learning, and the ropes. Mm-hmm. Aaron had great earrings for this episode. Mm. My kids really enjoyed them. She had Mm. one was a big exclamation point and the other one was a big question mark Mm. to celebrate her favorite punctuation mark, the interrobang. The interrobang. But also like the the exclamation point and the question mark are, you know, sort of part of Jeopardy's visual branding. So that's true. That's a fun connection. That's true. How do these people know the middle initials of these actors? I knew Samuel L. Jackson, and that is it. Sterling K. Brown? I, yeah. Yeah. I, it sounded right once Troy said it, but there was no... I mean, you know, I have a 1 in 26 chance of getting any of the recipes. Right. The, the other ones, I wasn't... Like, when they said them, I was like, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I wouldn't have been able to pull him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Troy knew Edward Robinson and Angela, Mr. Angela Bassett, Courtney Vance, Courtney B. Vance. Mm-hmm. Troy, from what I understand, is also a uh, well-regarded figure in the trivia world. So close on the heels of of Yogesh, we have another another trivia titan gracing mm-hmm. the stage. Yeah. Is it me or has Jeopardy sort of gotten a little bit more open about sort of the, uh, that there are, you know, kind of, that there are these like competitive trivia worlds that, that some of their, some of the contestants are coming from. I feel like, I feel like it used to, maybe, maybe I just missed it in the past, but it, it used to be much more kind of Soto Voce. I felt like. Yeah. I mean, I guess I I wonder how much of that was like, purposeful and how much of it was just like when you got on the show you didn't mention it you know yeah uh-huh um i am not an expert on this but i i have some some fact checking questions about the two thousand dollar level of the ropes uh there was a picture of um some kind of boat or something uh the and the and the clue was these strong ropes seen here give support to the mast it's also an old word for another supporter a corset uh, Hillary tried what's a bowline. Uh, Troy tried what is boning stays is what they're looking for. And I've heard some like um, like fashion historian kinds of people talk about like the history of corsets and stays. And I think that those two words are not interchangeable. Hmm. I'm, a, I'm not entirely clear on whether they're two separate things or whether one is like a type of the other. That's that's a little murky to me. Probably there's been some change in usage over the years, but like, yeah, I, I, I'm they're just they're not exactly synonyms. That's yeah. that's about what I know so far. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Daily double number one is at the thousand dollar level of ends in I O N, and Aaron finds it at the third pick. Uh, she's the only one who's gotten any clues correct at this point. So she's at 1400 with Troy at negative 800 and Hillary hasn't gotten in yet. And she makes it a true daily double and gets the clue. Zymology is the scientific study of this process as in winemaking. And she gets it correct. It is fermentation. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Aaron's in the lead with 6,800. Troy's right behind her with 6,600. Um, Hillary's at negative 800. And the double Jeopardy categories are the series author, state capitals, eat your veggies, all in the family, self-referential beetles, and acronyms. Parsnips are the first vegetable you start with in the Stardew Valley. <laughs> They're okay. at the tooth. They're at the two thousand dollar level of eat your veggies. Was that the clue though? The first first one you start with in Stardew Valley? No, but they it should have been the clue. <laughs> they, they uh they, they prompted it with uh these root veggies that look like creamy white carrots uh mm. are in the same fa- family and are often roasted or boiled and mashed. Mm-hmm. The series author category. <laughs> it's not especially um high literature. We've got um, Douglas Adams, and then we've got uh, we've got Twilight. We've got Fifty Shades. We've got the Suki Stackhouse books. We've got Outlander. Classics. Two yeah, two vampire bo- series, well, and one <laughs> that is based on them. Or one yeah. Of them. Oh, you're right. Yep. Two vampire series. Got some smut and some borderline smut. 
yep. some non-smut. Daily Double number two is in the state capitals category at the $2,000 level. Troy finds us at pick number five. He's at 7,000. Aaron's at 8,400. Hilary's at 1,200. He bets it all, which is bold and a $2,000 clue. Mm-hmm. Gets the clue the Kennebec Valley Chamber of Commerce is found in this New England state capital. And he gets it correct with what is Augusta? Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in All in the Family at the $800 level. Hillary finds this one at the 20th pick. Uh, she is at 6000 with Aaron at 10400 and to- Troy at 22800 She wagers 4800 trying to get above Aaron, I guess, if she gets mm-hmm. it correct, and gets the clue, Good Brother, Bad Brother is a dual biography of this assassin and his actor brother, Edwin. And she gets it correct, it's John Wilkes Booth. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Troy is in a locked position at 27,600. Aaron is at 13,600, which if if she had gotten that last $400 clue, she'd have been at 14,000 and it wouldn't be a lock game. Mm-hmm. And Hillary is at 11,200. The final Jeopardy category is British landmarks. And the clue is, like Sir Thomas More, three 16th century English queens are buried at this location. Hillary guessed, what is Tower Bridge? Uh, which mm. is not quite correct. And wagered 10,000. Started writing, what is Westminster Abbey? But went with the Tower of London. And that is correct. Mm-hmm. And she wagered everything but a dollar. And Troy wrote, what is Westminster Abbey? Which we know is incorrect. But he wagered nothing because he didn't really have much wiggle room. So he stays at 27,600. Mm-hmm. And wins going into Friday. Yeah, Westminster Abbey has a lot of important people buried there. But not Sir Thomas More. Yeah, the Tower of London like had like like uh like jail cells and like executions and stuff, right? So um So if they were beheaded, probably that's where yeah. they were. Uh-huh. Yeah. And on Friday we have the contestants Mark Fabros, a strategy consultant from New York, New York, Eric Kerr Harley a teacher and school administrator from Houston, Texas, and Troy Meyer, a music executive from Tampa, Florida, whose one-day cash winnings total $27,600. And the Jeopardy round categories are Moonstruck, World Events, that's that's our second world category in, in two world. weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an anagram category in this case. Maybe it was last time also, I can't remember. No, it wasn't last time. It was not anagrams. Repetitive Music, D adjectives with D in quotation marks, safe and sound. I sort of thought sound was going to be about like sound, sound like noise um, rather than sound rather than sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as it turned out, it was about sounds like the Puget and the Cockburn sound. Other notable, the Long Island sound. Other notable sounds. Other notable sounds. I liked the anagram category. Mm, Yeah, it was a good one. That thousand dollar clue. Place where a 15th century king stopped horsing around. Behold rifts. Oh. (laughs) Because I guess they just needed to get those last three letters in for Bosworth Field. Yeah. I wonder where they went with O, O O-W-E, instead of woe, W-O-E. You know... I couldn't tell you. Yeah. And now that you say it, it does seem like that would be the one to do. Yeah. 
Oh, well. I, uh, I do enjoy listening to Ken just, uh, just coast through pronunciations of, of fairly complicated things like, like, yeah, you may notice that I just, I just dodged <laughs> that word entirely yeah. so as to did. not have to attempt it. He's, he, he does his work on his pronunciations, which I he appreciate. does. Yeah. Do you remember when we were taping some, uh, some offhanded comments about the writers, like, make bets about whether Alex was going to be able to pronounce (laughs) things. And so like, you know, sometimes if he trips over things, you'll like see money changing hands. (laughs) I don't recall that. (laughs) I also don't think you would see the money changing hands. Probably probably not. Probably. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's fun. Um, Yeah. Daily double number one is in the safe category at the $600 level. Uh, Mark finds it at pick number 19. He's at 4,600. Troy's at 5,400. Eric's at 2,000. And he bets it all and gets the clue. Your money is as safe as it would be were it in the bullion depository in this Kentucky site. And they showed a picture named for our first Secretary of War. And he gets correct with what is Fort Knox. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Troy is at 7,400. Eric is at 2,000. And Mark is at 10,000. We have the Double Jeopardy category, Double Jeopardy categories, American Lit, This Piece of Paper Will Tell You What to Do, Two Word Science Terms, Street Smarts, Jason, and As the French Say. Mm-hmm. There was a triple stumper in there at the $1,600 level that I know only because of one of the episodes I was on. Um, the clue is this French phrase literally like this, like that, is used to mean so-so. And in my game against Andrew, yeah, Andrew and Riley, there was a similar clue to this because their response was come see, come saw, which is this one too. Um, I don't remember what I was thinking, but I remember thinking, oh, I'm glad Andrew got in before me because I would have gotten that wrong. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And so (laughs) since then I have remembered that come see, come saw is... A phrase, because as I've made abundantly clear, I don't know if the listeners know this, I don't speak French. Mm-hmm. Nice pronunciation on that one, though. Thank you. It's because You're I welcome. heard Andrew do it first. Mm-hmm. Have you come across the idea that the Hollywood Jasons are a better and like wider ranging set of set of like Hollywood figures than the Hollywood Chrises? I have not. Ah. Uh, but I'll give that a cons- uh, uh, some consideration. The Chris's can be hard to keep straight. The, I, there, there's I a guess. lot of similarity, I feel. I mean, sure, if you just want to, you know, paint with a broad brush like that. Yeah. All right. Sure. Anyway, uh, there's. I mean, uh, I'll find. I'll find you an article about okay. the Jasons. That would be. That would be fine. Mm-hmm. I know of at least one somewhat problematic Chris. I don't know of any mm. problematic Jasons, but I'm not saying they're not because it's, it is shocking yeah. the number of problems that uh, <laughs> famous people seem to cause or have around them. It, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I found it. It's a Gawker article. Forget the Chris's. Who's your favorite Jason? 
Well, I guess that's what the rest of this episode is. <laughs> I'm not sure no, I even I'd, know all of these Jasons. I would need some time. Uh, Jason Biggs, I know Jason Bateman. Mm-hmm. I didn't know J- Jason Priestley, but all the other ones I got. Yeah. I mean, I got that clue correct, along with Luke yeah, Perry. Yeah, Jason Priestley yeah. dominated an entire mm-hmm. zip code on this TV show. Like, I knew that was Beverly Hills 90210, yeah. but I wouldn't be able to give you the name Jason mm-hmm. Priestley. Yeah, I couldn't remember Jason Isaacs's last name, hmm. uh, although I knew his face. He looks so different as Lucius Malfoy than, yeah. in, than in like any other picture mm-hmm. of him. Yeah, we we had a kind of a fun miss and rebound at the $400 level of this piece of paper will tell you what to do. Uh, the clue was this junction, what's your function as a court order requiring a person to do or to do or to cease doing a particular act. And Troy, I think, focused in on this junction, what's your function and went straight for the schoolhouse rock response of what's conjunction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the, that's the schoolhouse rock song but they were just having some fun in the writer's room that's incorrect eric got it it is an injunction yeah yeah daily double two is in american lit at the two thousand dollar level and troy finds it as the third pick super early he has ten thousand two hundred he's just two hundred dollars ahead of mark with Eric back at 2000 and he wagers 5,000 and gets the clue loosely based on historical events. This 1985 Cormac McCarthy novel is subtitled the evening redness in the West and he gets it correct. It's blood Meridian. Yeah. And daily double number three is in, as the French say at the $2,000 level pick number 19, Troy finds this one as well. He is up to 29,600. Eric's at 4,800 marks at 9,600. And uh, he wagers just a thousand, which which is fine if he doesn't know French. Like, honestly, if I I mean, if I were in that position, I would be like, yeah, I'm not going to bet much either, even though I have ten thousand dollars to play with. Mm -hmm. You got the clue. This two word phrase refers to one involved in shameful behavior, perhaps like Dennis the Menace. And he gets correct with what is enfant terrible. I don't know how to say enfant terrible. Oh. <laughs> we should just do a super cut <laughs> trying to say French things. French things. Uh, it would be entertaining mm-hmm. uh, if anybody out there wants to go ahead and do that. Any listeners want to want to just throw that together for us? That'd be mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he gets it right, and Ken says uh, something along the lines of, "You know, you should maybe you should a bit more." Yeah, but hey, you know, he doesn't need strategically more because at the end of the double jeopardy round he's at thirty three thousand four hundred, with mark at ten thousand four hundred and eric at seven thousand six hundred and the final jeopardy category is television with the clue mike post combined the sound of a slamming jail door an anvil and 100 men stomping on a floor for this series that debuted in 1990 eric tries what is home improvement uh that is not correct uh he's wagered two thousand mark got it correct with what is law and order it's that junk junk. Dun, dun. Yeah, that's that sound. Um, he's wagered 4801, bringing him up to 15,201. And Troy got it correct as well. What is law and order? Uh, with a wager of just 1,600. He could have gone quite a bit bigger without risking his lock, but I think wanted to get himself a nice round number, which he does. He lands at 35,000 and gets his second win. Yeah. Uh, so this is the point in the middle of the episode 
where we pause to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. Um, sometimes we have a little bit of ex- exclusive content on there. I put I put I put an outtake on there this week. Just just a single outtake. Um, just one little one. Right <laughs> just there. one. Just one little thing that I thought was very funny. <laughs> that I would just send to our patrons. Um, so if if you want to be part of that, we we put our quiz questions on there pretty regularly, and then other stuff goes on there from time to time. Uh, it's Patreon.com/slash/PotentPotables. I think I said. And of course, we don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that there are other things in the world that are more important than us that also need your funds. So you can find some of those in the show notes. Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses today? I do. I think you're talking about Six Flags Over Texas. I'm not talking about Six Flags Over Texas. I think you're talking about the Carboniferous period. Oh, no, I'm not. I think you're talking about Constantine the Great. Uh, that would be a good one as well. Um, but no, I am talking about the Model T. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It, it, was, a, it was a missed Final Jeopardy. Um, as we know, I'm a huge car buff. Mm-hmm. I, am, mm-hmm. I, am not, I am not a car buff at all. But the Model T was important. And it's about time that I learned more than the three sentences I knew about it. So I learned a little bit more than that. And now you're going to as well. Maybe maybe all of you will all already know. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Monday, uh, Final Jeopardy. Uh, The category was Business Milestones. uh, As as a reminder, and the clue was these were first sold in 1908 at a price equivalent to about $27,000 today. And nobody got that one. And uh, it was the Model T, the Ford Model T. So I thought I would look into the Model T a little bit, learn a little more about it, and share it with the group. So the Ford Model T was produced by the Ford Motor Company from October 1, 1908 to May 26, 1927. Uh, Generally regarded as the first affordable automobile, it was colloquially known as the Tin Lizzie, the Leaping Lena, or the Fliver, apparently? I don't know. Hmm. The, tin, the Tin Lizzie I'd heard of. Those other nicknames were new to me. Yeah. And there were numerous body styles available, sometimes simultaneously, um, you know, with the same kind of internal stuff. Roadster, coupe, town car, sedan, touring, bunch of bun- bunch of different body styles. But, you know, same car stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is going yeah, great. It. Yeah, yeah. Same car <laughs> great. Yeah. Same, same innards. Yeah. Same car viscera. Yes. With 15 million sold, it was the most sold car in history before being surpassed by the Volkswagen Beetle in 1972. And it is still on the top 10 list. There, there were various versions of the top 10 list of most sold cars, uh, depending on, I think, I think the variation is because of like how you group or split models, like what you count as the same thing. Mm-hmm. But regardless, the model T appears. Sometimes it's at 10, sometimes it's at like eight or nine, but it's, it's still on there. It is still uh, one of the 10 um, best selling cars in history. 
Automobiles had been produced from the 1880s, but until the Model T was introduced in 1908, they were expensive, often unreliable, and uh, fairly fairly scarce. Uh, Henry Ford conceived of a series of cars between the founding of the company in 1903 and the introduction of the Model T. Uh, so his first car was the Model A, and he proceeded on through the alphabet until 20 models in, uh, we get the Model T. Um, not all of the models that that were conceived of went into production. The Model S was right before the Model T and was in production. Uh, the most successful prior to that was the Model N. And then when the Model T went out of production, the next model after that was not the Model U. It was Ford Model A. The company publicity uh, said that because the new car, the new Ford Model A after the Model T was such a departure from the old uh, versions mm-hmm. that they wanted to start over again from the beginning with the letter A. Mm. The first production Model T was built on August 12, 1908 and left the factory on September 27, 1908 at the Ford Piquette Avenue plant in Detroit, Michigan. Ford stated his intention for the Model T saying, I will build a motor car for the great multitude. It will be large enough for the family, but small enough for the individual to run and care for. It will be constructed of the best materials by the best men to be hired after the simplest designs that modern engineering can devise. But it will be so low in price that no man making a good salary will be unable to own one and enjoy with his family the blessing of hours of pleasure in God's great open spaces. Wow. Yeah. The Model T is, for good reason, very much associated with uh, the assembly line. But it's not actually the first car produced on assembly line. Um, Credit for that goes to uh, Ransom Olds with the first mass-produced automobile, the Oldsmobile Curved Dash uh, in 1901. But uh, the Model T brought tremendous advances to uh, the assembly line system and, uh, you know, is rightly remembered for, uh, for that. Um, the Model T was designed by C.H. Wills and Hungarian immigrants Joseph A. Gallum and Eugene Farkas. C.H. Uh, Wills was named Child Harold Willis. Oh, sorry, sorry. Child Harold Wills. Uh, after the epic poem by Lord Byron, which I think think we touched on earlier in the episode, right? Mm-hmm. More, yeah. Bit, yeah. Yeah. C.H. Wills hated his name and therefore went by C. Harold or C.H. But yeah, Child Harold Wills. Uh, collectors today sometimes classify Model Ts by build years and refer to these as model years. Um, so they will refer to the first Model Ts as 1909 models because for reasons I don't entirely understand the model years are like a year later than when the car actually like goes into production. Right. So like right now it's 2023 and you can, and like, I think that automobile manufacturers now can be selling the 2024 model, but all of that is a retroactive classification because the concept of model years uh, as we use it today did not exist at that time. I don't know things about car engines, uh, but the Model T had a four-cylinder engine uh, producing 20 horsepower uh, for a top speed of 42 miles per hour. Uh, It was capable of running on gasoline, kerosene, or ethanol, although Hmm. the decreasing cost of gasoline and the later introduction of prohibition made ethanol an impractical fuel for most users, but it could run on ethanol or kerosene. 
the Model T engine will continue to be produced for replacement needs as well as stationary and marine applications until 1941, well after production of the Model T car had ended. The wheels of the Model T were wooden artillery wheels with steel welded spoke wheels available in 1926 and 1927, the last couple of years of production. The track width was 56 inches, but 60 inch track could be obtained on special order for Southern roads. And all of this was because um, Model T's could be and frequently were fitted with flanged wheels and used as motorized railway vehicles, um, also known as speeders. So you could you could fit them to like run on a railway. In his autobiography, um, Henry Ford reported that in 1909, he told his management team, any customer can have a car painted any color that he wants, so long as it is black. Hmm. However... So this is a this is a quote from his autobiography that he claims he told his management team in 1909. However, from 1908 to 1913, the Model T was not available in black. Um, it was available in gray, green, blue, and red, depending on which like body you were you were getting. The uniform black was introduced later. It's often stated that Ford suggested the use of black. Uh, due to the low cost, durability, and faster drying time of black paint. Um, there's no evidence that black paint actually dried faster than other varnishes used at the time for painting. But it is true that the, that the black pigment was one of the cheapest, if not the cheapest, available. And uh, they, did, they did transition to Model, T being, Model T's being all in black. Hmm. So Ford classified the Model T with a single letter designation throughout... Uh, its entire life and made no distinction uh, by model year, but there were changes over the production life um, such that the car can be classified into several style generations. So 1909 to 1914 is the first generation. Um, I have some like detailed descriptions of like how exactly these are characterized, like a, a nearly straight, five-sided hood with a flat top containing a center hinge, but like we don't need to go into that. But the first generation, the headlights were uh, acetylene gas flame headlights. Great. Yeah. Safe. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Because it was a really long time ago and that was, that was the best, you know, the best plan they had for headlights um, with concave mirrors combined with magnifying lenses to uh, to project and like direct the light. Um, so 1915 to 1916 is the, the next generation um, with some changes to the hood design and electric headlights replace the gas flame headlights that they'd been using from 19, uh, 1909 to 1914. Uh, 1917 to 23 is the next one with more changes to the uh, the hood design and this design was uh, used the longest um, and during the highest production years. So about half of the total number of Model Ts are this third generation, um, sometimes referred to as low hood to distinguish it from the later hoods. Uh, 1923 to 25 is the fourth generation. Um, uh and there are some there are some changes that look relatively minor, um, but uh, there is there is not interchangeability of parts between the third and fourth generations. 
and then 1926-27 uh, the, uh, is, the, is the fifth generation. And this generation is sometimes referred to as High Hood. When the Model T was designed and introduced, the infrastructure of the world was really different from how it is today, uh, not too surprisingly. Uh, rural electrification and motorized mechanization were new and rare. And so the Model T was intentionally almost as much a tractor and portable engine as it was an automobile. Hmm. It has been well regarded for its all-terrain abilities and its ruggedness. It could cross streams and get up steep hills. It could have one of its wheels removed and have a pulley fastened to the hub to run machinery. Um, and that that was a common application and something that was, you know, sort of part of the design um, is that you could, you know, attach a like a, a belt to the hub to drive a thresher or or a baler or a water pump or whatever. It was not uncommon to take it apart and reconfigure it into custom machinery, um, per- permanently dedicated to some purpose, uh, such as homemade tractors and ice saws. And there were aftermarket companies selling kits to facilitate the conversion of the Model T into a tractor. That was apparently pretty common. I mean, dozens of companies selling these kits. Um, The the introduction of the Fordson tractor made those modifications um, less appealing because, you know, it was a, you know, a a mass market tractor that was that was affordable and and replaced that function of the Model T. Um, But during the the Great Depression, Model T tractor conversion kits had a resurgence because by then used Model Ts and junkyard parts were plentiful and cheap. Uh, the Model T engine was also used on home-built aircraft and motorboats. Oh, and Model Ts were sometimes converted into vehicles that could travel across heavy snows with uh, the addition of an extra pair of rear-mounted wheels and then replacing the front wheels with skis. Hmm. Uh, yeah, they were popular for rural mail delivery Model T's that had been converted this way were known as snow flyers. Hmm. So as I mentioned, um, production of the Model T began at the Piquette Avenue plant, uh, which initially struggled to keep up. And in 1910, after assembling nearly 12,000 Model T's at that plant, uh, Ford moved the company to the new Highland Park complex, where the assembly line was greatly improved. The cars came off the line in three-minute intervals, uh, much faster than previous methods, um, reducing production time from... 12 and a half or more hours uh, before to 93 minutes by 1914. In 1914, Ford produced more cars than all other automakers combined. The Model T was a great commercial success. And by the time Ford made its 10 millionth car, half of all the cars in the world were Ford's. (laughs) The Model T was so successful that Ford did not purchase any advertising between 1917 and 1923. More than 15 million Model Ts were manufactured in all, reaching a rate of 9 to 10,000 cars a day in 1925, or 2 million annually. Uh, the Jeopardy clue mentioned price point in 1908, uh, equivalent to about $27,000 per day. Um, but as uh, Ford refined their methods and materials and um, were able to scale up and economize, uh, they were able to bring the price down not just not just like you know kind of you know relative to inflation but like but like actually down as the years went down uh the price in i think this is 1925 was 260 dollars which today is the equivalent of 4017 
$4,017 car. The Ford Model T was the first automobile built by various countries simultaneously. Uh, They were being produced in uh, Canada and in England starting in 1911 and later were assembled as well in Germany, Argentina, France, Spain, Denmark, Norway, Belgium, Brazil, Mexico, and Japan, um, as well as several locations throughout the U.S. Ford's ideological approach to Model T design was one of getting it right and then keeping it the same. Uh, He believed the Model T was all the car a person would or could ever need. As other companies offered comfort and styling advantages at competitive prices, the Model T started to lose market share. And eventually, on May 26th, 1927, Ford Motor Company ceased U.S. production um, and began the changeovers required to produce the Model A. Uh, Model T engines continued to be produced until August 4th, 1941, with almost 170,000 built after car production stopped as replacement engines were required to service the many existing vehicles. And uh, there are, to this day, clubs to support the preservation and restoration of the Model T, Model T Ford Club International, the Model T Ford Club of America, and the Combined Clubs of Australia uh, are the, the major ones. In 1949, more than 20 years after production ended, there were 200,000 Model Ts registered in the U.S. And uh, in 2008, it was estimated that about 50 to 60,000 Ford Model Ts remained roadworthy. Um, I don't know how that number has changed in the intervening 15 years. I'd, I haven't seen a more recent s- statistic, but it's a pretty remarkable vehicle. And I say that as a, a real aficionado. No, uh, <laughs> but it was interesting to learn more about it. So uh, so that's a little bit about the Ford Model T. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? I, I, there was, there were, there was so much more delightful stuff here than I anticipated. And I particularly, like, I want to track down some pictures of the, 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 uh, converted ones with the skis instead of front wheels, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it just blew my mind. Yeah. Why can't uh, cars nowadays do that? You know, right. Look at what they took from us. I know it's $4,000. You can turn it into a tractor. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. I, I, I am, I, I, I don't know. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. Well, are you ready for a quiz? Yes. Cool. I mean, I suppose we'll find out. All right. This is a quiz about model models. Okay. We're not doing, Great. we're not doing a whole lot. Well, yeah. Mo- mo- yes. I'm, we're, I'm theming it around the word model. All right. Question one. Fimo, Sculpey, and plasticine are brands of what artistic medium? That last one started as a brand name, but now is used generically and is the trademark medium of Nick Park. I guess trademark in the colloquial sense, not like official, like registered trademark. Fimo? Fimo, F-I-M-O. Sculpey, S-C. Sculpey. I mean, I... Given that it is model, this makes me think, I don't know, if model isn't the answer, then I'm thinking modeling clay because of sculpting. So I'm just going to say that. Modeling clay is correct. Yeah, Fimo Fimo and Sculpey are polymer clays, and plasticine is an oil-based modeling clay. The non-drying properties of oil-based modeling clay make it ideal for stop-motion animation. Uh, Nick Park is the the uh, stop motion animator guy behind like Wallace and, Wallace Gromit. and Gromit. Yes. All right. 
Uh, so you're at 10 points. Sometimes my wife and I, when when our kids get like genuinely excited about things, we'll say, cheese, grommet. We'll go somewhere where there's cheese. <laughs> um, I love Wallace and Gromit. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. All right. Question two. From 1790 to 1880, applicants for what were required to submit, along with their paperwork, a model no larger than 12 inches by 12 inches by 12 inches? The first successful applicant was Samuel Hopkins. Up until when? 1880. Applicants. People were... continued and continue to apply for for this to this day, but are no longer required to submit models. Models. You apply for something and you have to submit a model. Mm-hmm. Three dimensions. Goodness. Um, trying to like up until 1880 and they still apply. Mm-hmm. What happened in 1880? I, I think just a paperwork change. Okay. Because I'm like, Eiffel Tower is around that time. Statue of Liberty mm-hmm. is around that time. Um, the person the person who uh, successfully applied for the most uh, of these was Edison. Oh, is it just a patent? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh. 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 Okay. Oh, got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for, so from like from the first patent issued up until 1880, when it was deemed impractical, um, every patent application needed to be submitted with a patent model to like show, you know, hmm. the thing you were patenting. The th- yes. The thing you were patenting. If it was going to be a large thing, it needed to be a scale model. And if it was a small thing, I guess you could just send There's one in. Send the um, small thing. Yeah. Yep. And um, inventors, continued to many of them continued to voluntarily submit patent models for a while after it was no longer a requirement. The patent model requirement also was helpful for inventors who, you know, maybe, maybe lacked formal training to, you know, describe in writing or with like schematics their, their inventions, but, you know, could send one in uh, or, or a small, you know, or, or a miniature model of, of their, of their invention. And uh, the collection of patent models, many of them ended up at the Smithsonian. Um, others were like moved from place to place to place, um, and eventually some were sold off. But there's a, there's a good number of them in the Smithsonian collection at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah patent models. All right, you're at twenty points. And question three: uh, Employees at Disney parks are referred to as cast members. What other chain of theme parks with American locations in California, Florida, and New York refers to its employees as model citizens? Hmm. Chain of theme parks known as model citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is it... Is it... Legoland? It is Legoland. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fun name. Isn't it? For them. Yeah. (laughs) I I I love it. Um yeah, model citizens. 
punning on you know like lego model but also like you know their Mm -hmm. uh their upstanding character right yeah and i and i specified american locations california florida and now new york new york got its legoland a couple of years ago that's great Mm -hmm. i i i like it but i but i specified american locations because legoland actually also has locations in malaysia korea the united arab emirates japan the uk denmark germany and italy okay but in the u.s uh california and florida and now new york um about 45 or 50 minutes from my house all right yeah you're at 30 points and question four, these educational simulations actually pre-exist the entity for which they are now named. The first was held in Oxford in 1921. And the first to have the current name was held at Swarthmore College in 1947. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised that notable past participants include Ben Ki-moon. Okay, yeah, Model UN. Yes, Model UN is correct. And it was it was originally like the Model League of Nations. I'm not sure what they called it. I don't I don't know if they called it Model League of Nations or something else. But but yes, there were there were like League of Nations simulations in like educational institutions starting in 1921. Wow. Um, and then the first Model UN was after the founding of the UN in 1947. And uh I mean, Ban Ki-moon participated, but also so did Rain Wilson, who I remember you uh, being a fan of. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, he did Model UN. All right. You're at 40 points. And question five. Andre Leon Talley, Jay Alexander, and Rita Ora are a few of the figures associated with what long-running reality television series? I don't recognize any of the names. But the cat, like the the topic, makes me think America's Next Top Model. And you are thinking right. Uh, yeah, those are those are two judges and the one person who has hosted instead of Tyra Banks. I figured Tyra Banks would be a little bit too much of a of a giveaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, America's Next Top Model is correct. I don't really have any any fun facts about America's Next Top Model, but hey. <laughs> Right. It's a show. It is a show and people have watched it. <laughs> people have appeared on it and people have watched it. And I am smiling with my eyes. Smiling. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, you're at 50 points. Nice. And we'll call the final category hobbies. 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 <sighs> hobbies very uh phlegm phlegmy <laughs> um i will go 30 points 30 points all right for for 80 points if you are correct napoleon iii built the first documented one of these for his then three-year-old son a society was founded in 1910 near King's Cross, London for hobbyists who like to create these. And on The Simpsons, Reverend Lovejoy is frequently pictured working on his. What pastime am I describing? I, I believe this is model trains. It is. Yes. Model yeah. railroads. Yeah. <laughs> Napoleon III built the first documented model railroad. That is... I don't even know how to feel about that. <laughs> I was going to say that's surprising, but I guess not super surprising, <laughs> yes, yeah. but also wouldn't be the name that I would pull in the uh-huh. first place. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah. Model railroads is correct. And <laughs> I, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole trying to uh, get at the distinction between model railroads and toy trains, which is an important, okay. important distinction to railroad enthusiasts. But I'm, I'm still not sure that I could, I could distinguish them. There's a whole bunch of um, different kind of options for, for the scales of model railroads, but the, the most popular is uh, 148, one, one to 48, one forty-eighth. I don't, I don't know how, how you say out loud the like one colon 48. <laughs> But yeah, model railroads is correct. Um, so you have won eighty points. Hooray! Congratulations! You can put them with all of your other points and do whatever it is that we do with the points around here. Got, got a big yeah. stack of them over here. Uh huh. Uh huh. Saving them up for whatever they're good for. Yep. Well, I mean, that was awesome. Thank you for the quiz and for teaching me about the Model T. Uh, you, you're welcome. Hopefully, hopefully you learned some new things. I don't know. I'm so bad at cars, but clearly the Model T <laughs> needed to be discussed. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, it, you did fine. We learned about the car stuff. Yay. <laughs> um, well, well, thank you, uh, as always, for, for potting with me. And thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. Um, if you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are fans of Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables one our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com. And I will be back next week uh, with That's hopefully true. a guest co-host to be announced uh, with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.